Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Ramin Karamlu and welcome to my podcast, The Hang, where I get to hang out with some of my friends and get some much needed face-to-face time and talk about, well, whatever. Welcome back. This is part two of my hang with my prolific artist friend, Hadley Frazier. Let's pick up where we left off in part one, where we just started getting into the Phantom of the Opera 25th anniversary. I, did, I, don't, I don't spend an awful lot of time, and I never used to, listening to musicals, but those are two, the two that I did when I was Blood at Blood Money, Damn for All Time. You could sing it right now? Not at pitch. No, but I mean words. My God, I saw him. He looked three quarters. No, the dead. first one. Oh. Now if I help you, it matters that oh. you see. Next line. Um... Now, if I help you, it matters that you see this sort of kind of things are coming hard to me. It's taken me some time to work out what to do. Is that right? Yes. I wait the whole thing up before I came to you. At I have no thoughts at all about my own reward. Yeah, but at this point, the orchestra's there are four bars ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, no, but I, I kind of know it. Well done, yeah. well done yeah. brother. Like, I wouldn't be able to do that for Les Mis, which I've done what eight hundred shows of. It, if I, I thought Phantoms the one thing that's going to be stamped in my brain. Yeah, really. No. no. See, actually, this is something that I um. I find quite funny is people have a natural assumption that I know an awful lot about Phantom because of the 25th. Dude, I only did those three shows. That's it. And I didn't remember half of that. So (laughs) it's lovely when, because it obviously made such an impression on people, that production. And I said, this day, you're still getting tweets? I still get a lot of love for it and it's wonderful and I love it, but I sort of don't have the ability necessarily to respond as much because I don't, I don't know it, you know. So How much of that time do you remember? Very little, because we only had two weeks to rehearse. Yep. And I was doing, I was still doing Javert in the evening. So I was That's going right. in to do, That's right. to do Les Mis at night. So I really don't. And I, I've told this story before, but I'm sure if you look on the DVD, the split second before we start singing the duets, all I ask of you. Yeah, good job. <laughs> I... Didn't I was convinced I didn't know the the next line. That's so, an awkward song though, because the words Yeah. It's just almost the same, but they're not. And yeah, then I is know. this where I t- say this one or this one? Yeah. But dude, that was the twenty fifth anniversary at the Albert Hall going yeah. live to cinema. No, I felt and I was like, I don't know what's coming next. I hope what I and there it is. Listen, I felt for you. Me and Sierra had history with it at least. Yeah. And Andrew remembered your names. Well, <laughs> 
remember then? Yeah. <laughs> you were just grabbing my arm. <gasps> Why was it with both anniversaries, Lamez and Phantom, we were to, side by side for all our bows, and we're, like children. <laughs> You can't just bow, can you? Either one of us is standing on each other's toes or your elbow is going into my side, but we still have to keep a straight face. (laughs) That's part of the joy of it. What happened that speech? He's like, thank you, Ramin. Ramin, you're just, you are the modern day phantom. Like, I am so proud of our association and and you are the epitome of of the phantom. Sierra, thank you so much. You are my Christine for the 21st century. Like I couldn't be more proud of you. And then he turned around to me and he looked me in the eye and he went, and this is in front of the Albert Hall. And he went, and haven't we had a lovely time? (laughs) I remember you went, that's fine. That's That's fine. fine. That's fine, that one. (laughs) God bless him. No, I mean, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of our involvement. And actually, I and I sort of think about what we achieved in those two weeks was quite remarkable. I mean, we never teched the second act. No. And so to have got through that was was quite was quite something. And I sort of thank you and Sierra really for sort of holding my hand through most of that and sort of dragging me through. But I don't know, maybe I'll go back to that show in, in the years to come. It's, n- I confess, not one that I have a sort of burning desire to yep. go back to. Because I suppose I feel like maybe this is going back to some of the conversation we've already had. There is so much out there. There's so many new things to discover, I suppose, that that's the, at the moment the thing that I find most satisfying is the variety of what's new. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sort of contradicting myself slightly given that I'm going back into City of Angels next year. But that didn't year. have a full Western run. No, that's true. We only did, I suppose, must have been about seven weeks of it. Because I'm sure at, at that Denmark. time, there was, pro- I'm sure, even hopes of a transfer. Yeah, it came very close. Uh, yeah. But for whatever reason, that didn't that didn't work out. And so I suppose that always felt like unfinished business. Um, so, yeah, thanks for digging me out of that hole. <laughs> <laughs> but also you, you have that, you know, that desire and that excitement for new and you know, the, the the diversity that you talked about because you also write and you are writing mm-hmm. and you're contributing to that diversity. I suppose so, and yeah. And new works. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose that also, and I don't know how you feel about this, that also comes down to that thing of when you have done something for 20 years, you kind of go, oh, I, I have a vague idea of how to do it. No, I'm not going to be English about this. I have an idea of how to do this now. Mm-hmm. And I would like a little bit more, um, I would like to have a bit more agency. Um so uh, I suppose writing or, or directing is that sort of thing where you feel like you potentially have a little bit more agency as a as a someone who's been in the business. Because you went to university in Birmingham? Correct. For English, li- English. English, English literature and language and theater. So I did, well, it was, a jo- it was called joint honors. So, yeah. Amazing. I wasn't very good at the English language stuff. All the sort of, um, the grammar stuff left me kind of cold, but I enjoyed. You're a wonderful orator. Um, I enjoyed English literature, the seminars that I did turn up to. Um, did you have a uh, sort of a, a writing bug then? No, I really didn't actually. And there were other contemporaries of mine that really did, and, uh, and they've gone on to some success, I suppose. I, I, I was keen to be an actor, which is why I think probably now I don't regret going to university, but I suppose if I had my time again, I think I would have probably gone to a drama school, a drama college. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, what do you think you missed out on? Um, uh, that's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I'd like to finesse just a little bit more of my technique earlier on and not relied upon instinct. 
Right. Is that fair you. to say? I get you, yeah. And I think I'm I'm now much keener to search out technique and all of that sort of stuff than I was back then. So maybe it's it's happened the right way around. Technique as an actor. Yeah, exactly that. And we and my course was actually very practical at the time. The Birmingham University Drama course was a very practical one. And so we got to do an awful lot of performance and um, and so all what that. do you mean technique as an actor then? Because if you do your prep, you've learned your lines, you show up to day one, but you're not using this, that's the example of the Stanislavski yeah, actioning. Exactly. Yeah. I suppose there there are things like um, those those schools of dramatic technique that I wish I was slightly better. So whether it's Meisner, whether it's Stanislavski. Exactly that. Well-versed to all of them. So, you know, when you get there like this will serve this piece better. Exactly that. And, right. and that sort of links back to that thing of going, what's the authorial intent here? You know, if you're right. doing a piece of David Mamet, I think it's really helpful to have read David's Ma David Mamet's books upon performance. Yeah. Um, have you read True or False? I haven't. It's great. Yeah. Um, and I like that idea of just like not prepping for the end game. You prep for that first step. You just... Right. See, I, I, that's something I go, I should go away and read that. Been a while since I read it, and I'm right away thinking someone who has read it recently, like, yeah, well, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I suppose that's the only thing that I would sort of do differently. I mean, I and then I left to go to the Royal Academy of Music to do the musical theatre postgrad, which was great, and uh, that helped hone a certain amount of singing technique, I suppose, and uh, did a bit of dance as well, which I guess helped. I which mean, we not, saw in Frankenstein. There you go. Friend, a little bit of that. Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and there was some acting on that course, but I suppose really not quite as much as I'd had at university. So um, I can't remember where I was going with this. What was how you wanted to be? Uh, oh, versatility. Yeah. yeah. So um, with your acting technique. So all of that kind of stuff. But now I suppose there's an awful lot of stuff that I did in English literature that I now go ah, that's the stuff that I'm coming back to with the writing. So in terms of right. narrative structure, in terms of characterization, in terms of plot, in terms of you know putting a piece together, and, I, and I'm and I'm. Going back now, and I'm wishing I'd paid a lot more attention in my English literature classes, and I'd read all the things that were on those. Um, so, what was the first step at writing that you went? Oh, well, or, or someone approached you said, "Can you write this?" Um, How no, did they know you were a writer? Uh, the, the first one that that had had been that has been performed was committee that we wrote for Donmar Warehouse two, three years ago. Is that the first time you put pen to paper? No, I had done actually quite a bit before then. I mean, we had collaborated on... Houdini. Houdini. We'd, was that the first time? No, I had written... Uh, while I was living in the States, so this would have been about 2007, 2008, Boy, I had a relatively fallow period where I wasn't working all that much. Uh, I couldn't work really apart from in the entertainment industry because of the, the visa yeah. that I had. The joys of pilot season. The joys of pilot season. You think season. it's going to be busy. And you're not. And you're on Venice Beach for half the time. Which is lovely, but then there was a part of me that went, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm just wasting time. That's what happened. Too much of a good thing. Absolutely. So I wrote a short film script and I wrote a play script, neither of which I'm glad have ever been produced. You did it just to pass time and just to keep your brain... Uh, to, yes, I suppose. Inspired. I suppose so. Um, also, because out there, there there is a very admirable trait, I think, especially in LA, of um, creating one's own uh, work and creating one's own opportunities. Which over here, I don't think we're as good as. I think one tends to get sort of parked into a box as you are a, an actor, you are a singer, you are a writer, you are a director, whatever. Whereas I think in New York, in LA, in the states, there is much more sort of acceptance of a, a diversification mm -hmm. and I want to do this now and a support in terms of doing it. 
So well, um, you must feel a change of that happening over here now. I think you're right. I think there is a bit more of of a of a support network there. But certainly when we were starting out, I think that there was a bit more of oh, a yeah, 100%. sort of pigeonholing going on. Remember that thing of like, I just can't get into TV. They don't want to yeah. see us in theater. Yeah. Which is insane. Which is crazy, really. Um, so... I so had you started written, dabbling, So right? I'd written, yeah. I mean, we did a few readings of the play that I did. Mm -hmm. But now when I think about it, I, I did a very, very classic thing. And, it, and I'm still something of a novice writer. But I started writing the play without having done any sort of um, uh, work in terms of plotting it out, in terms of uh, structure. Um, and now I'd never do that. I would always structure something first and, yeah. then, and then go in and write something. So... Um, so it was fortune, really. I had worked with Josie Rourke, who was the then um, artistic director of the Domar Warehouse. She's directing City of Angels. Yep. We'd worked together four or five times as actor and director. Um, and I think we had talked about writing, and she was keen for a new piece of music theatre to happen at, at the Domar. And um, I think she sort of... We, we, I mean, we co-wrote the, the book and the lyrics for that one, and... My colleague Tom Deering, who you know well, wrote the music for committee. For committee. Yep. Um, and I think Josie's just sort of went, look, I believe in you guys. I, I think that you have the, the wherewithal to do this. And I suppose... And at that point, had she read any of your previous stuff to even have start this um, conversation with you about I'm committee? I'm not even sure she had done. She must have done. Yeah, I think she had. I think she'd read because Tom and I had been working on something else, another um, an adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe story that... Sort yeah, of hasn't and that was around the Houdini time. That was around the Houdini time. Because Houdini also got a bit of what well, people started talking. They knew about it. Yeah, for those of you, I mean, people won't know this, but there was a Houdini musical that Ramin and I were involved in, and you brought me in as a sort of script consultant. And That's then, right. And I, I'm still trying to figure out why did I think, how did I know you were a writer? But I guess I knew it. Maybe you'd read the play or something. Like Maybe that at written. that point we were writing music as well, I so I knew you were it. Yeah. great. Um but I suppose going forward, looking to the future, which I suppose is what we should do, that's something that I want to do an awful lot more of. You know, I've got a couple yeah. of projects that I hope will see the light of day at some point. And um, that, I think, is the thing that gives me the most joy, other than doing lots of different things. I hope, and I suppose maybe I'll ask you this in a minute, but I hope the next 20 years of my career, sort of looking back on the first 20, sees that same diversification sort of continuing through. So I'd love to keep doing plays, keep doing musicals, keep doing filming and keep writing and keep playing music. I mean, I count myself incredibly fortunate to be able to say that I do all of those things. Where do you, What I mean, what's the next 20 years to, for you? Well, it's funny, as you were saying that, I was just going to bring back the praise you gave me when we started how you were saying, you know, when there's something you want to do, you just went and did it and you learned it. And you've been doing that. Anyways, when it comes, you've been... Getting so. better as an actor, you you don't sit around and wait for things. You create as a writer. You do more and more. Uh, I don't know where I was going to go with that now, but the, I guess the point of that is because I want to. I try and think of anyone listening to, especially you know, we we got great support out there, and there's young folks who look up. Yeah, yeah. you know, they reach out and they say, "Well, what do I do?" And I never know what to say. So yeah. I thought this podcast will help answer yeah. some of those questions, and it just comes with effort and the the desire to work hard for something yeah i i think that's right i think hard work is the thing that i would praise above and prize above all else i think there is a slight um tendency nowadays i think promoted by those sorts of talent shows that have always been around mm -hmm. but now are very 
um, big role in the in the cultural consciousness, and certainly in, in in people who want to be a performer, there is that sense of I deserve something because I want it, rather than mm-hmm. um, I want to work hard at something, and whatever comes from it comes from it. That's Evidently, true. we all have to make money and we all have to live, so there has to be a balance. You can't exist on reading alone and working on your craft alone at some point you know commercial commercialism has to meet and uh, you know has to meet uh, artistry but yep. i think hard work is something that i prize above all else and that's what worries me i see it with my kids sometimes too if it's not in front of them it's not in front of them yeah and they don't know where to start looking uh-huh but we were probably like that as well and i, I think there are people who put themselves through college by working and there is a absolute adherence to the understanding that hard work mm-hmm. goes there. there there is an ease of access to things now i suppose uh, which, which is actually great absolutely um but that that i guess just that that i that idea you're right of of i want something therefore i'm entitled to it i think that's something that's really really dangerous um so i think just work 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 isn't it you know yeah and that tends to pay off. I also think there's a way that you work with people that 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 comes to help you in the long run as well. It's something that that Brana goes on about all the time is is the way that you are in the room with people. The way that you work with people is incredibly important, and people pick up on that. I think as soon as someone works walks into the room, you know what I mean? Yeah, that is actually something that I'm still figuring out. No, I don't think so. I, you strike me as an eminently workable person. You know what I mean? Like eminently collaborative person. Okay, Your entire that, yeah. career has been collaborating with people. You know, you only have to look at the music stuff that you do right. to see how much of that. Yeah, of course, it's Ramin Karen doing concert, but you have a band now who would probably walk over hot coals to come and play with you, right? Because they, the they enjoy that sense of yeah, they enjoy that sense of collaboration, and they know that what they put in, they get out of you. Um, so, to, when you do these, um, what you did at the Royal Academy last week, you said, yeah, yeah. Talk me through that real quick. Um, You're there to do what? They have stuff prepared for you, or yeah, yeah. That was a that was a public masterclass they called it, and so. Um, in that situation, we had, I think, eight people who got up and, and sang a song, and, and it was sort of working on an acting through song, it's sort of acting through song class, really, which um, I'm always at pains to say I don't think there is a particular technique to. I think there are things that with experience and with hard work one can learn, and I, and I suppose there are, I have encountered teachers in my own time who profess that they have a mastery and their technique is the only technique and mm. when someone does something differently it's wrong or when you when a student does something differently it's wrong i suppose i'm always at pains to say look this is just my opinion yeah um, um there is a way of doing x that is completely different to the way that we'll explore it but i suppose that's why i like to think of it as a rehearsal yeah, and that's why you got to read the person as well and read the student in his case because what works for them might not work for the next person. Absolutely. And and I suppose the reason why we the reasons why those classes exist as much as to learn technique is to prepare oneself for being in the industry. And the way that you are in the industry is to be in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. 
this making sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the most important part. And so there are singing lessons and acting lessons and all of that kind of stuff that hones your technique. But things like acting through song classes, masterclasses, for me, that is the moment where you're effectively stepping into the rehearsal room. Yeah. And stepping into the rehearsal room, for me, means there isn't a right or wrong. There is only a let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. Yeah. Let's try it the third way. Let's try it the fifth way. Let's try it the nth way. And at some point you'll go, oh, that feels about right for today. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find with when you do something like that, is there a general repeating uh, sort of critique or comment you're finding you're giving? Um, yeah. Which is? Self-pity is the most off-putting thing to see from an audience point of view. Yeah. And it's something that I think as musical theatre actors, especially doing things like Les Mis, is really easy. And I know I've fallen into this trap and probably fell into it nightly when doing Les Mis, but the the act of self-pity on stage is an immediate turn-off. And so that's the one thing that I, I will find myself more, saying more often than not, is if you are in, if you are a character who is facing various obstacles, which most characters should be if it's a decent bit of drama because yep. conflict is drama. If you are up against it, if you have to overcome an obstacle to get the thing that you want, this doesn't always ring true, but an audience will love you much more for trying rather than giving up. Yeah, nothing sadder than seeing someone fight back those tears and you're like, oh, you just want to hold them. Absolutely. And then as an audience member, you go, I want everything that they want. And to a certain extent, I suppose most drama is about what characters want and whether they get them or not. So that's something that I find, yeah, I, I, I encounter frequently. And lastly, how far, um, how well prepared are you finding students? In Very well prepared. Like, Amazing. And I think about myself back in the day and I think, my God, you guys know it. And I, and I already show ready much more than I ever was or perhaps my contemporaries. Well, that's exciting and scary to hear because we got to keep up with the work, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. And we're tired. <laughs> okay, real quick. Yeah. Off the top of your head, what's your favorite childhood memory? Oh, man. Um, or one that comes to mind. Yeah. That makes you like, yeah, that was a good time. I suppose in the context of what we've been talking about, I saw my brother in West Side Story at my school. I suppose I would have been about 13, mm -hmm. maybe 14. So he would have been 15, 16. He was playing Bernardo. There weren't many Puerto Ricans in Bracknell in about 1984. So right. ap ap okay. apologies for that. But you get a pass. Thank you. And I, I remember sitting in the school hall and hearing dance at the gym, the mambo, and thinking I've never and thinking I've never heard music like this before. Wow. Where does this come from and where can I be involved in it? Oh man. And it, it wasn't that I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. All I thought was, I've not heard music like that before. And I've not seen people on stage with a life that is influenced by that music. This makes sense because you started playing <clears throat> when you started learning guitar. Yeah, you did play a lot more of those sort of Spanish sort of chords and stuff. Like that. So I remember you were showing me. That's true. Yeah. Well, although that was slightly unconnected, that was because my guitar teacher growing up was obsessed with South American. All uh, oh, right. Okay. 
guitar music. And so rather than going through the, I suppose it would have been the Associated Board of the Royal School of Music exams, I didn't do any of that. He just taught me um, all of those South American techniques like milongas and bossa novas. Right. And so that's where my classical guitar playing okay. sort of came through players like Calcio Terrao, who I still listen to today and go, ah, man, that's that's playing. But I, I suppose it, in a sense there was, there was a similar kind of influence musically there. But that's the one moment where I remember going, oh, my word, music has such potential to shift people and and change what is going on inside them as did his performance of Bernardo Noel. Yeah, which was exceptional. And talking of people with like shorts and squat <laughs> bodies, I think Ed was that at the time, God bless him. He's now a Lieutenant Colonel in the army and it's quite a rufty tufty mountain man. But at the time he- Arguably already, one of the greatest performances of Bernardo. I think without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> uh, and finally, what made you smile yesterday? What made me smile yesterday? We, my wife and I made biscuits and cakes with LV and although at the time the kitchen was being destroyed and she was falling off the chair and injuring herself Rosie of course Rosie yeah. um, there was a moment where I realised that the simple act of baking was something that LV sort of couldn't quite believe how wonderful it was so that was yeah that's beautiful man yeah Rosie, LV, everybody ha healthy, happy. All good, man. Yeah. Can't ask for more. No. Love you, brother. You too, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for the having hang. me on. There you go. The hang. We shook hands. <laughs> it's not like they can see it. <laughs> and then we kissed. <laughs> <laughs>It's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.